Tomorrow, I imagine that most of us will celebrate by sharing Christmas gifts. And as we do that sort of thing, there are some wonderful moments. There's moments of expectation and anticipation. There's moments of surprise and delight. There's some moments of great happiness. It can be a lot of fun. But as we all know, it comes to an end. And in some ways, it seems like it comes to an end way too quickly. Because we spend days and weeks, and some people spend months making Christmas lists, and then shopping, and then gift wrapping. And then on Christmas, as we pass out those gifts, and the last gift is opened, it's over. It's done. And we have to wait an entire year to recreate that feeling and that experience. So if our primary focus on Christmas is the presence, we're setting ourselves up to be let down. Because material gifts only can bring momentary happiness. And that's why we must look elsewhere for the meaning of Christmas. And when God gave Jesus to the world, he wanted us to experience so much more than fleeting happiness. He wanted us to experience peace and joy because of who he is and because of what he does. Peace and joy are God's great gift to us. And it's a gift that was presented and opened on the night that Jesus was born. What we often overlook, though, is that on that very first Christmas night, the story doesn't begin with either peace or joy. It actually begins with terror. It begins with terror because God once again engineers a holy interruption. And when God steps into humanity and interrupts humans' lives, it can be very, very scary. Here's what happens. Some shepherds are working the night shift. They're in the fields outside of Bethlehem, watching over their flocks. And Bethlehem, of course, is where Jesus has just been born. And as these shepherds go about their normal, everyday, routine activities, suddenly an angel interrupts their very quiet routine. And this supernatural appearance terrifies them. It terrifies them. Let's take a look at Luke Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, and see what God does when he interrupts the lives of these simple shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, over the last few weeks, as we've seen these events leading up to Christmas, we've seen a lot of angels show up, haven't we? And angels interrupt different people at different times and in different ways to announce what God is doing. However, when this angel appears to these shepherds, there's something distinctly different. And what's different is the way these men respond. You see, prior to this, angels appeared to men and women of faith. People like Joseph and Mary, people who felt connected to God. And when they encountered an angel, they responded with fear and trepidation. And that's understandable because supernatural events can be very unsettling even to people of faith. These shepherds, though, respond with way more than fear. They respond with terror. 
And I think we need to ask, why might that be? I believe it's because of their standing within the Jewish religious community. You see, in first century Israel, shepherds are despised. In fact, on the ladder of social and spiritual acceptability, shepherds are just about at the bottom. They're about one rung higher than lepers. Shepherds are viewed as outsiders who serve in an unclean profession. And it's unclean not because being a shepherd is dirty work. It's unclean because their work keeps them out of town most of the time. Did you notice in our passage it says they're living out in the fields. And because of that lifestyle, they can't get into town very often. They can't participate in the spiritual festivals and spiritual events that are part of the ongoing life of the Jewish community. They can't regularly participate in the rites of sacrifice and purification. And so shepherds are viewed as spiritually unfit by the Jewish religious leaders. They're classified as sinful people who are separated from God. And as a result, shepherds would logically think that God is not interested in them. After all, why should they think that God cares about them if the people who claim to represent God don't care about them? And I think that's something we need to ponder. By our words and our actions, what do we communicate about God's love and care to people who are far from God? Based on the way these shepherds are treated, based on how they've been taught to think about themselves spiritually, I don't think it's any surprise that they're terrified when a message of God shows up. If I was one of those shepherds and I saw that angel appear in the sky, I would think, this is it. God's coming to judge us. We're doomed. You see, when you feel alienated from God and he interrupts your life in a dramatic way, terror can be a very natural response. What we're going to see, though, is so Heartwarming because God is not showing up to judge these shepherds. He's showing up to bring them within his reach. God does care about these men and he wants to change their status by telling them exactly what he's doing at that very moment to change the world. And in just a moment, they're going to hear a proclamation from the angel that transforms them from outsiders to insiders. God is going to say to them, you are not far from me. You are within my reach. I care about you. Look what God says to them, starting in verse 10, speaking through this angel. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
So these very first words from the angel are designed to calm their fears. They learn that God's messenger is not there to judge them, but to bring news. Good news. News of great joy. News that the Messiah has been born. This is a long-awaited event which has been foretold by numerous prophets and it finally now has taken place. And this very brief message from the angel is filled with spiritual significance because they learn that this baby who has arrived is the Messiah and he is their Savior. He's their Savior which means that he's coming to rescue people from the condition of sinfulness. The condition of our minds and our hearts and lives that keeps us apart from God. And this Messiah, this Savior, has the power to rescue people spiritually because He is the Lord. A word that means He is God in the flesh. He is the Lord of all creation and He is coming to establish His kingdom. And the fact that this message is given first to lowly shepherds is a powerful statement about the kind of life and ministry that Jesus is going to have. It's a powerful statement about the nature of the kingdom of God and who will be welcome in God's kingdom. Oh, this this message truly is good news for all people. And this proclamation from the angel then is reinforced because the sky fills with a whole host of angels who give glory to God and proclaim that God's peace is coming to earth. Now this message of peace applies to every generation, but it has particular relevance to the world in which Jesus is born. It's a world ruled by Rome and Rome's emperor, Caesar Augustus. Now, Augustus was perhaps the most powerful ruler ever in human history. And he used his power, sometimes ruthlessly, he used his power to bring peace. And it was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But like so many rulers and politicians, Augustus was egotistical, so he framed this peace as his personal gift to the empire. He built an altar in Rome, an altar with his image on it, and he called it the altar of peace, and he even called himself the prince of peace. That title, however, cannot belong to any person. The title belongs to Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace, as we know from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. And what we need to see is this. This proclamation of peace given by the angels is not just some nice, sweet-sounding phrase we like to put on Christmas cards. It is a statement that peace does not come as a gift from Caesar. Peace comes as a gift from God given through Jesus. True and lasting peace cannot come from any human ruler. It only comes from God. And that's a message I believe that we need to hear in this Christmas season as we live through a time of great political polarization in our nation. The gift of peace did not originate in Rome with Caesar, and peace does not originate in Washington, D.C. 
and it doesn't originate in Salem, Oregon, or in any other seat of governmental authority. And peace does not come when our preferred political party happens to win an election. The gift of peace originated in a humble manger in the village of Bethlehem, and it continues today as we maintain an ongoing connection with Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And that's why the angels say that God's peace will be experienced by those on whom God's favor rests. We receive God's favor through Jesus because He is the Lord and the Savior. He is the one who redeems us and gives us a fresh start in life. He is the one who shows us how to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that transcends our politics and our power struggles, the kingdom that transcends economic and social status, the kingdom that breaks down all of our human-created barriers. The kingdom that helps us live in peace. And this message says to shepherds and to people like them, people who are marginalized and oppressed and and downtrodden and ignored, they're no longer excluded from the family of God because no one is beyond God's reach. This proclamation truly is good news for all people. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. It's good news for people who are like us and for people who are not at all like us. It's good news for the people that you and I love and for people that we find it hard to love. Because when we follow Jesus and embrace this gift of peace, it transforms us and allows us to overcome all of those things that divide people. What a momentous proclamation that the world is changing because Jesus is coming into the world. And so how do the shepherds now respond? Initially, we saw them respond with terror. But now, having heard this amazing message, they're full of excitement. And in response, they decide to be more than just an audience. They decide to be more than just passive recipients of this proclamation. They decide to become active participants in this unfolding drama. And so they decide to go looking for Jesus. And Because they go looking, they make a joyful discovery. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's think for a minute about the logistics of what's going on here. Bethlehem's not a large village, but at the moment it is horribly overcrowded because of all the people who have temporarily journeyed there to comply with Caesar's edict about this census. That's why Joseph and Mary are there. And the shepherds don't have any specific directions for locating the newborn Messiah. All they know is that he's going to be wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. 
So they have to go on a hunt. They have to go find him. And we don't know how long they search. But eventually they do find Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And then they discover to their great joy that what the angel said was true. And I find myself wondering how Joseph and Mary felt as all this was taking place. Here they are in a strange town, far from home. They don't know anybody. They're camping out in some sort of stable or cave. They've grabbed an unused feeding trough and turned it into a cradle for their baby. And they're all alone. And then suddenly, in come these shepherds. (laughs) Why are these guys here? I have to believe that they tell Joseph and Mary what they heard, that some angels showed up and told them about this baby Jesus who is Lord and Savior, this Jesus who's coming to bring God's peace into the world. They have to have some explanation for why they've hunted them down. And whatever they said would be added confirmation to Joseph and Mary about God's unique purposes for this son. And as Luke notes for us here in his, his, this passage, he tells us that for Mary, this is yet another profound interruption for her to ponder and to treasure. Think of all that's taken place for her over the previous nine months. An angel interrupted her life to announce that she would become the mother of Jesus. Another angel showed up to Joseph, her fiancé. She visited her cousin Elizabeth who made a prophetic statement about this unborn baby growing in her womb. And Mary herself made a prophetic statement about the changes that would take place in the world when her son arrived. And among other things, Mary said these words recorded in Luke 152. God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And with the arrival of these shepherds, Mary has the first glimmerings that the words she spoke are in fact coming true. Because look what's happened here. The angels have issued a proclamation that has bypassed all of the rulers of the day. God has ignored everyone sitting on a throne. Anyone wielding any sort of power and authority? Who's come to visit the baby? Is it Caesar? No. Is it any of his officials? No. Is the Jewish high priest there or any other religious leader? No. Is it the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council? No, it's not even the mayor of Bethlehem. God has done an end run around all human authority and instead he has lifted up some humble shepherds. They are privileged to hear God's proclamation, and to see God's Savior because they listened, they responded, and they went looking for Jesus. And what we see is that God is starting the process of turning the world upside down as he initiates his kingdom on that very first Christmas. And so because of all of this, I don't think it's any surprise that the shepherds go out and immediately tell everyone what they've seen and heard. They've been entrusted with an amazing, life-changing message, a message of good news for all people. It's a message that everyone who puts their trust in Mary's son 
can experience God's great gift of peace and joy. And so as I look at this part of the Christmas story, I love the faith that we see in these shepherds. They've been written off by the religious community, but God hasn't written them off. God hasn't given up on them. And when God reaches out and embraces them, they respond. And yes, it's terrifying at first when God interrupts their lives, but God leads them from terror to joy. And that's a journey anyone can take. And I believe this part of the Christmas story reminds us what's truly important. And giving gifts tomorrow will be fun and enjoyable. I know I'm going to have a good day, and I hope you do too. But it's the birth of Jesus that makes a lasting difference for you and for me. And I want to encourage you to make Jesus part of your day tomorrow. Take time to read the Christmas story. Take time to pray. Talk with a family member or a friend or a neighbor and tell them how you are experiencing God's peace and God's joy because of the great gift of Jesus. And if you're feeling disconnected from God, then this story of the shepherds is here to give you hope. Their story lets us know that no one is beyond the reach of our God. And if you've not given up on God, then He's not given up on you. And if that describes you, I would love to speak with you after the service this morning. I'd love to help you receive the gift of Jesus. Because only Jesus can give us lasting peace and lasting joy. No one, nothing else, can provide that. The Christmas story is one with a huge invitation. Will you let God give you the gift of Jesus?